managing editor and host of Talk That Talk, award-winning journalist Terrell Chatterbox Emerson. Welcome to it, welcome to it. It is 3 o'clock on a Monday afternoon, so as of late, it's been time for Talk That Talk, you guys. Welcome to it, welcome to it. I am your host, Terrell Chatterbox Emerson, in studio as we speak. And then there you go. And now the 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 theme song does that. But welcome to it, welcome to it. I am your host, Terrell Chatterbox Emerson, in the studio, actually by myself today. We're in the studio, kicking it old school, kicking it alone right now. I do have a phone call to make uh, within this first hour. So uh, maybe a little outside of this first hour, depending on how this show goes. You guys know it's typically a little bit uh, shorter when, I, when there's nobody to banter with. But welcome to it, welcome to it. Excuse me. <clears throat> the O. Oh, I almost said the O D. Look at that. I'm in podcast vibe right now. But welcome to it. It is time for Talk That Talk. It is time for your Talk That Talk radio show. I'm actually scrolling in my phone right now to make sure I have this. Uh yeah, I like this one. My mom's tip in for today is Okay, she actually just sent me another one as we speak. Um I like this one. My journey of self-love means giving my mind some time to rest. Once again, I'll read that. My tip in for my mom today is my journey of self-love means giving my mind some time to rest. So, obviously, we always say health is wealth. We always say health is wealth. So, make sure you guys go out and you get your bag. Uh, there's a lot to get to today. It's some expected, some not expected, I will say. This phone call that I have to make, excuse me, this phone call that I have to make is not one that I expected to make, but um, it's one that I'm, I'm going to make, and <coughs> excuse me, we're going to play it by ear actually as it happens and, and as we do it. I should actually text the person soon and let them know when we're actually going to call, but we're doing a show on a Monday, so it's only right that we start with the Raiders, right? It's the only thing that makes sense. So let's start with some Raider talk really quick. The Raiders, as anticipated, I think I said I had four Raider weeks in a row. I could be wrong now. I could be looking at about five. But fifth straight game that I've predicted correctly. Yes, I'm patting myself on the back. We're, we, we're in a profession where we're wrong a lot. And a lot of times when we're wrong, we're loud and wrong. So when you're right, I think you got to pat yourself on the back, similar to what Max Kellerman said. Sometimes if you don't toot your own horn, there's no music. But as anticipated, I believed I believed that the Raiders were going to come out and take care of the Denver Broncos. They already did so in Week Six uh, earlier this season by ten points in my or at Mile High rather. So now they were at the Death Star. It was only right that I felt the Raiders were going to close out this this uh, AFC division, AFC West divisional battle with the season series or with the series sweep rather with the season sweep. That's exactly what they came out and did. The Raiders came out and upended the Denver Broncos 17-13. Just, what, four, four days or so? Maybe four days after Mike Hughes was on this show. Shout out to Mike Hughes Jr. Uh, he was actually on the show, and he said that the running – or that Derek Carr, rather, was <coughs> – excuse me – was – Not given, not being given the amount of credit that he should be given considering his team wasn't running the ball as well as they probably wanted to. 
keep in mind when when Josh or when John Gruden was there, excuse me. <coughs> he mentioned Josh Jacobs being the workhorse, and he mentioned the way that he wanted to kind of run the ball on first down, make it easier on shorter downs, stay ahead of the sticks. And you could say you could argue if you want to whether that over time became uh, what we anticipated from John Gruden, a quarterback guru, or at least what we believed to be. Um, we expected him to obviously lean a little bit more on the pass game. However, the the running game just hasn't been here all year long, regardless of who was really at the helm for the Raiders. And I think what's been interesting is right on cue, Josh Jacobs gave the Raiders exactly what they needed in the game like this. The Raiders were led by Josh Jacobs, 129 yards, which actually ties a career high for him. It actually ties a career high. Once again, he had, he did that on 27 touches. Didn't score, though. Not saying anything's wrong with that, but uh, it's just a fact to be said and a fact to be stated. Josh Jacobs did not find pay dirt. <coughs> Peyton Barber actually did. I don't know why. I feel like my nose is doing this little whistle thing. I apologize, guys, if you guys are catching that. Hope it's not too crazy. Windy out here, cold out here. Allergies are beginning to go nuts. Had a little episode, allergy episode last night. But this is actually the third win for the Raiders in the last eight games. And the first win of the three where they didn't need a last-second field goal from Daniel Carlson, from kicker Daniel Carlson. Sister, what's going on? <laughs> Excuse me. So... When you look at the Raiders and what they were able to get from Josh Jacobs, 129 yards on 27 carries, he had 128 combined yards in the last three games. Pause for a second, guys. Josh Jacobs ran for 129 yards this most recent game. However, his last three, he had 128 yards combined. Just to give you a little indication into – how the Raiders season has been going so far for their starting running back. In addition to that, interim head coach Rich Basaccia, who actually made his debut in week six at mile, at mile high rather against the Denver Broncos, he improved to five and five under the interim tag. And I know that we've talked about it a little bit, and I know we've actually held off majority of the conversations considering that owner Mark Davis has said that he hasn't really looked and or thought about the next head coach for the Las Vegas Raiders. He feels like there's something still to be played for this season. And whether or not that's the case, a lot of people aren't considering Rich Basaccia in that thought process, even when it does begin. If Rich Basaccia is, is anything over 500 with the, the, the state of the team that he actually picked up, one could argue – Maybe that is the guy for the job. So, just because Josh Jacobs did that on the ground and he helped the Raiders to 160 to 18 advantage in terms of rushing yards, in addition to first downs, the Raiders completed 22 first downs while the Denver Broncos only completed eight. Let that sink in. But, the aforementioned Derek Carr, the quarterback Derek Carr. And matter of fact, let me see if I can pull up this tweet. Because it can be a that's out there now. It wasn't one originally. But we're going to go ahead and, and go with it. 
simply because Adam Hill of the Las Vegas Review Journal, shout out to Adam Hill of the Las Vegas Review Journal, he said only four quarterbacks in the NFL have surpassed 4,000 yards and 20 touchdowns in each of the last three seasons. I'll reiterate that. I'll repeat that one more time. Adam Hill of the Las Vegas Review Journal said that only four quarterbacks in the NFL have surpassed 4,000 yards and 20 touchdowns in each of the last three seasons. Those quarterbacks are Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, and Derek Carr. So I take that tweet and I said, Vegas really doesn't realize what a bad quarterback is. He may not be elite, but definitely not bad. Derek Carr yesterday went 20 of 25, 201 yards, a touchdown and an interception. It wasn't the prettiest of games for Derek Carr. However, when the running game is giving you 160 yards, while the defense is holding the other running game to under 20 yards, you don't have to do much. And I hate that he's becoming a poster boy for somebody who doesn't have to lose the game, but the one that I always think of is Mark Sanchez. Derek Carr last night, his or yesterday, his job was to not lose the game considering the way that the offense was running the ball and the way that the defense was stopping the run. So regardless of whether Rich Masachi is the next guy, I think the conversation about whether Derek Carr is the current guy needs to stop. It should stop. Does Jimmy Garoppolo make the Raiders better right now? Does Sam Darnold make the Raiders better right now? Kirk Cousins. Let's move on. On a good note, I guess I'll say on a lighter note, the Las Vegas Raiders have won back-to-back games for the first time since late October. The Raiders are 8-7 and seven this season. They're ninth in the postseason hunt. They're ninth in the postseason hunt. So remember, guys, the top seven seeds – Getting to the play, getting to the uh, into the playoffs this year. The Raiders, as of right now, as I just stated, are ninth. They're on the outside looking in. However, just above them are the Los Angeles Chargers, who are also at eight and eight, or excuse me, eight and seven. And then you have the Baltimore Ravens, who are just above them, who are also eight and seven. So, as I said a couple of weeks ago. This is where I anticipated the Raiders being. However, of the two teams that sit ahead of the Raiders, they beat Baltimore. Week one. Not to mention Baltimore was playing without their starting quarterback, Lamar Jackson, and their backup quarterback. 
and T. Huntley. First name is Tyler Huntley, sorry. First name is escaping me. The other team that's above the Raiders are the Los Angeles Chargers. Even though they're at 8-7, and seven, that was the Raiders' first loss this season. Ironically enough, that's who the Raiders actually end their regular season off with here in Vegas. So as of right now, the Raiders and the Chargers are tied for second in the AFC West. And one could argue whoever ends up second in the AFC West might be the last wild card team. Of course, if Lamar Jackson comes back, he's going to have something to say about that with his Baltimore Ravens. However, next week, and this is where I think things get interesting. Because next week, the Raiders, while they, actually, let's switch it up. Actually, next week, while the Chargers, while they return home after losing a game this week to the Houston Texans that I'm sure it was, was baffling for them, it's their first time losing back-to-back games this season since losing to the Ravens and the Patriots, and that was in mid to late October. Granted, they had a bye week in between. So... Justin Herbert and company will return to SoFi Stadium to take on the Denver Broncos that the Las Vegas Raiders just beat. Granted, they beat Drew Locke in his first start of the season. Unsure whether Teddy Bridgewater is going to be back next week or not. However, that's who lies ahead for the Los Angeles Chargers. What about the Raiders? While the Chargers are headed to the last place team in the AFC West, the Raiders are still playing, or the Raiders are playing a team with something that's still on the table, rather. They're playing a team with still a lot to play for in terms of the AFC South. That entire division may still be up for grabs. So we're going to view the full standings right now. But the Raiders are headed to Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis to take on the Colts. So, when you look at the standings in the AFC South, it's only a two-horse race. This was the the two-horse race that we actually anticipated would, would be here at the end of the season if Carson Wentz stayed healthy. Not only has he stayed healthy, he's been boosted boosted rather, and the offense has been bolstered by a running back in Jonathan Taylor that could argue that he should be MVP. I don't think he will be, but he has a hell of argument. <clears throat> so the Tennessee Titans are at sitting at 10 and 5 atop of the division, while the Indianapolis Colts are a game behind at 9 and 6. 
We want to talk about Houston or Jacksonville. So, the Raiders are going and essentially playing, well, if you technically want to count last week, I know nobody really wants to consider it in terms of this week, in terms of who they played in terms of the Denver Broncos, but you may look at this Raider season, this Raider regular season, this finish, and say that the Raiders played at least four playoff-like games to determine whether they're in the playoffs or not. So let's say the Raiders do make the playoffs. They would have essentially had a playoff game at Cleveland. They would have essentially had a playoff game this week by welcoming in the Denver Broncos. And I understand that you guys may not think of the Broncos as that much, especially with Teddy Bridgewater not not under center. However, me and my dad talked about it last night. Whenever it's a divisional game, you throw out records. Not to mention these teams are only a game apart. So the Raiders host the Broncos here, and now the Raiders are going to Indianapolis, which they're probably going to be a playoff team. And then they will end the regular season here at Allegiant Stadium, here at the Death Star, against the Los Angeles Chargers, that if they lose, they will probably be a, pay- be a playoff team. <clears throat> so best case scenario for the Raiders obviously is the postseason. And their best case scenario is the seventh seed as of right now. Unless something goes crazy in the AFC East. They're probably banking on the seventh seed. That Raider... Colt game does take place on Sunday, January 2nd. Yes, guys, once again, at a Sunday, January 2nd. Excuse me. Trying to pull pull up that score for you guys. I'm unsure of why it's – there we go. 10 a.m. I was wondering if it was a 10 a.m. game. It is a 10 a.m. start. The Raiders and the Colts from Lucas Oil Stadium. Sunday, January 2nd. Started a new year. 10 a.m. Let's see if the Raiders can continue to control their destiny. <coughs> Excuse me. While sticking with the theme, keep it going with local news. Let's talk about the Vegas Golden Knights. I know we haven't had too much to say about the Vegas Golden Knights as of right as of late, I should say. However, Hockey resumes today. Hockey is back today. Hockey has been paused since the 22nd, since Wednesday the 22nd. And actually, as we're looking at it, and I wanted to be sure, and yeah, it's looking like it. It's looking like the NHL has postponed games for today as well 
So I didn't get an alert about this. I didn't get an email about this, but it appears as if the NHL will be postponing games even more. More games were supposed to be, well, games rather were supposed to start today. However, they may begin tomorrow, considering the way that this this hiatus has has been kind of going. The interesting part is they began postponing games in the NHL on the 18th, on Saturday, December 18th. And this is where it gets a little weird. Because now, while it's not seeming as if it's a pause in action completely, it may be headed that way. So for the Vegas Golden Knights, who had momentum in their favor, tied for first in the Pacific Division at 20 and 12, 40 points overall, tied with the 17, 9, and 6 Anaheim Ducks, who also have 40 points. The Knights were supposed to return tomorrow. We'll see if they actually do. But the Knights were set to return tomorrow against the Los Angeles Kings in L.A. from Crypto.com Arena. I don't know. I'm trying to I'm trying to make myself say it from Staples. Puck drop is set for 7.30 p.m. tomorrow. Let's see if it stays afloat. In the games that have been postponed, the Vegas Golden Knights have lost home games to the LA Kings and the Colorado Avalanche. We'll see when they'll be postponed for, considering that there's postponements taking place all around the league. <clears throat> However, if that game is played tomorrow, it will be the second time, even though it should have been the third, it will be the second time that the Knights have seen the Los Angeles Kings this season. And their first time since the Kings handed them their first loss of the season in the second game of the year on October 14th. Again, that was at Staples Center. It was Staples Center at the time, so I can say that proudly now. The Knights fell at the Staples Center 6-2 at the hands of the Kings in the second game of the season to fall to 1-1. Again, if that game does take place tomorrow, it will take place at Crypto.com Arena Tuesday, December 28th at 7.30 p.m. for the puck drop. So, we're going to get into this. And by the end of the first hour, we are going to hopefully make this call. Make sure I can confirm. So, UNLV basketball, and this is where I this is where I uh, forgot it in my notes. Clearly tells you where my mind has been. So let's go ahead and pull it up, so we make sure we get this correct. However, let's talk about some UNLV basketball because we're in a time now 
where we spoke for so long about not knowing not knowing rather what to make of these teams. Actually, I shouldn't do that. That's unfair. We've been in a state where we haven't known what to make of the men's team. So even though this UNLV men's team is on a four-game win streak, we know what lies ahead for this team. So news actually just recently broke, and we'll get to what's coming after that shortly. But first on the list for UNLV men's basketball, is a New Year's Day home game against the San Diego State Aztecs. And for anybody who was wondering, too, when I mentioned that the New Year's Day game, like the, the annual hangover game, it seems like they're, they're beginning to do. Um, they have done it for the last two seasons. At least they tried to because last season obviously was postponed. Uh, they did it three years ago or is it two years ago now, and it was Utah State that came in here on January 1st. However, the game was played at 8.30. UNLV won that game as well. So, whatever. Just a little note. I still don't think any game played before 4 o'clock on New Year's Day is necessary. That's just my personal opinion, considering where at least where UNLV is. But I could be wrong. However... One thing I want to talk about specifically is that this team would have had nine days, well, ten days if you include the actual game day of the, of the San Diego State game. They would have nine days off. So nine days in between your San Diego game and your San Diego State game. It helps that the team is coming off of a 23-point win over San Diego. It also helps that even with an 8-5 record, this UNLV men's basketball team, this running Rebel team, has won four straight games, which I've already mentioned. But more important than that, they are 6-1 and one at home. They're 6-1 and one at the MAC. I guess you would want to play San Diego now more than any other time, right? Keep in mind that one loss at the MAC came to number two in the country, UCLA. So, you have a men's team that are on their longest win streak of the season. However, in those four, in those four wins... all of which they've won by double digits. However, two of those wins in Hartford and Omaha came against teams with one win on the season. I believe Hartford came in here 1-8, and eight, and I believe Omaha came in 1-9. and nine. Not sure what it means. 
It is interesting to note that San Diego, the team that UNLV just beat of the West Coast Conference, who actually have a game coming up against the Gonzaga Bulldogs. We should see how that goes. In the second game of the season, took care of that school up north. So UNR basketball has a loss on their record this season, coming from San Diego. And again, we're not talking about San Diego State. We're talking about San Diego of the West Coast Conference. If you're comparing at home. The women, on the other hand, while it may be a, a slight switch up to it, to what I'm going to say, while we may not have to worry about what this team, or wonder rather, what this team is, I think we're going to find out how this team responds. And just from being around a group, being around Lindy LaRock and company, uh, they're taking on the role as they should. As they should. As the hunted. Everybody's going to be aware of how well this team plays on the road when they come to their home gym. Mountain West play is going to be nothing different. I'm not sure how many teams this UNLV Lady Rebels team is going to catch off guard. By the way, guys, really quick, the news that broke earlier that I actually should have let you guys know, uh, the second conference game for the men's basketball team was supposed to take place at San Jose State. That game has been postponed. We'll let you guys know if that game is rescheduled. And, of course, if it is, we'll let you guys know when that is rescheduled for. Now, this women's team is sitting at 8-3 and three on the season at the end of non-conference play. Lindy LaRock made it a point to also mention that they made it the concerted effort to not schedule anybody who was not who was non-division 1 rather because they wanted to stay in the window of their competition no reason to play anybody to to pad the records when those are not the type of teams that you're going to be playing when you're playing for it all So keep in mind that I just said that this team is not going to shock very many schools with how well they play on the road. Funny how these things write themselves. Three of the first four conference games for UNLV will take place on the road. Beginning Tuesday, December 28th. Yes, guys, that is tomorrow. Beginning tomorrow at Fresno State, 6 p.m. 6 p.m. tomorrow, December 28th, UNLV will open up their conference play. And as a matter of fact, we're going to try to get this phone call placed, and I hope that we can actually get it done and, and get right into it, uh, considering the nature of the, of the talk. We're going to see if... if if the person picks up as we speak. 
Welcome to it. Welcome to it. Guys, if you guys are listening uh, live on Facebook Live, we want to appreciate you guys for doing so. But joining us via the phone is Miami offensive lineman Justice Oluwashun. What's going on, J.O.? Man, I am chilling, man. I'm living a dream. Let me actually cut on the second mic and, and move it closer to the speaker so we can make sure we hear everything you're saying. But uh, obviously, so much going on in the world right now. How's your health? Everything good with you? Yeah, hold on. My bad. My TV going crazy right now. All good. Yeah, man. Uh, trying to be healthy, man. Uh, did, uh, unfortunately, get COVID, but uh, I'm getting better. Uh, it's not too serious, but, uh, you know, just doing what I can each and every day to get better. And first of all, we appreciate you for, for even taking time out to speak with us. And, and as we said before, we, we hope and wish a, a great, a speedy recovery for you. And again, thank you for taking time to speak with us today. We can actually hop right into that. Um, you, you can actually, we actually start with your story. Um, how long ago did you find out that you had tested positive for COVID? Uh, how long ago? Uh, it was Sunday. So it's been about a week now, Sunday or Monday. So it's been about a week. And have you had symptoms or have you been asymptomatic? Uh, no, I had symptoms. I had uh, only thing I had though was uh, uh, congestion and a scratchy, uh, scratchy throat. Other okay. than that, I was pretty uh, chilling. Okay, okay, and obviously now we can get into a little bit more specific. Um, well, a little bit more of the specifics, I guess we'll say. We we've covered obviously your entire journey from from UNLV to Miami now and. And this is where I, I, I kind of want to start with you. You've obviously been through what you've been through here at UNLV. You get to Miami. You have a season that goes up and down. And we, we talked about it at the start of the season, the way that it kind of uh, opened up. And then you fast forward to now. You get a chance to play in a, in, in a, in a bowl game. You get the Sun Bowl. And COVID strikes. When COVID strikes, what what's the first thing that goes through your mind? Oh man, just, here we go again. <laughs> like it's like you know we just had two years ago. Was it two years ago last year when I was at UNLV? You know, last season was that COVID season and everything was weird and all the games was getting canceled and stuff like that. So when we you know we get to twenty twenty one season and it's a fresh start. I'm in a new school and everything like that and pretty much the whole year because we still were getting tested during throughout the season. Like there wasn't any crazy, I think we had like two throughout the whole season or something like that. Like it wasn't no crazy, uh, you know, outbreak, but all of a sudden, boom, we have a crazy new variant going around and now it's canceling games again. And, you know, people are missing opportunities, you know, uh, again. So it's just like the same thing all over again. It's kind of, you know, annoying. <laughs> You you actually just talked about everybody's missing opportunities, obviously, to play in this bowl game. What is the state of the Hurricanes as we speak? Uh, so, yeah, we, we did announce that uh, we had to cancel uh, our bowl game case, the COVID cases and COVID, pro COVID uh, protocols. So, unfortunately, we can't play. Um, the, the, the feeling in the locker room, obviously, you guys are disappointed, but what has some of that conversation been like amongst teammates? Man, it's just kind of just like I guess it's just more we're angry. It's not like we're angry at anyone. It's just like we're just angry at the situation because you know 
what happened through the season and how we started and then especially and then we ended on a high note and to get a chance, you know, to show that, you know, we can still play, we can still do what we do and then we have to cancel our game. People were just kind of just like, bro, what? <laughs> like, why are we doing this all over again? And why, you know, are we going through the same type of thing all over again, even though, you know, we thought it was kind of nipped in the bud. So. And I, I hate to feel like this conversation keeps kind of taking a turn for the worse, but you, you keep talking about it happened again. It happened again. And. Uh, I'll be honest with you, man. I, I've I've kind of texted you throughout the season, and I've told you moments where I felt for you guys, and moments where I just kind of wanted to uh, say keep your head up and certain things like that. This one, I'll be honest with yeah. you, man. I wasn't quite sure what to do, and I, I stayed away from you. I made it a point to stay away from you because I was like, I'm just gonna give him a little time. And this is the first time for everybody who's listening live right now. This is the first time that we're actually gonna talk about this. Period. So. Here goes that. Um, you you said it. Something keeps happening over and over again. Justice, you were here when Tony Sanchez was let go from UNLV, and you were here for the arrival of Marcus Arroyo. You was here for the first season for Marcus Arroyo. Well, first two seasons. Uh, well, I lied. I'm sorry. First season. And now you get to Miami, and after your first year in Miami, Manny Diaz is relieved of his head coaching duties. I need to know what went through your mind when that news broke. Man, uh, I don't know. It's, it's kind of you, you kind of have a, a lot of uh, different feelings, I guess. Um, I mean, I interacted with Manny Diaz. You know, obviously he's the head coach, but I didn't interact with him as much as I think I could have, just because you know he's he he works more with the defensive side and stuff like that. But the interactions I did have with him, he was a good dude. You know, he he's a he's a true player coach. He like cares about the guys. And, you know, he was you know very upset when you know he was let go, and a lot of the guys was you know just how everything transpired and stuff like that. But uh, I mean, at the end of the day, it's kind of just part of the game. It's kind of you know part of the 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 feel of you know NCAA. People go, people come. You know, just like you know players leave and go, coaches can leave and go. So it's kind of like. You know, it sucks because you know you you you're starting to build a relationship with a with a coach, but at the end of the day, you know, there's some some so much we can control, and you know that you know that decision out of my hands, and you know I said my goodbyes, I you know I told him how much I appreciate him giving me the opportunity, you know, but at the end of the day, you know things happen, and you know we gotta let go, we got a a brand new start, I guess, and. I guess I got two more quick questions for you. You just talked about it right now, and, and Mike Hughes was on the show last week, and we, we always talk about football being such a big locker room that you kind of just alluded to it right now. Nine times out of ten, you're talking to your positions coach. And obviously we talked about Coach Garen Justice before you had went to Miami. Uh, I just need to know a little bit how much of Manny Diaz being the head coach went into your decision to go to Miami? Uh, a little bit. It was, you know, always obviously uh taking into consideration like everybody who's there, not just one person. But uh, you know, at the end of the day, Coach Justice was the guy that was at UNLV. So, you know, once I got in the portal, he wanted to reconnect and you know see if we can make that thing shake, shake back. So, um, you 
you know, a little bit with uh, with Diaz because, you know, he talked to me and uh, he recruited me and, you know, tried to get me to come to school. So he's a, definitely a good dude, you know. And this last one that I have for you, and we'll let you get out of here. We appreciate you again. Um, you and I, we continue, we, we've, we, we've always kind of said it, but we just highlighted Tony Sanchez. We just highlighted Marcus Arroyo. We're highlighting Manny Diaz. You, I've, I've noticed the change in you. And my question goes to just this, in the situations that you have been in, we're not talking about necessarily on the field, but every situation that you've been in the last, let's say, three to four years, do you feel like you're a pro already? Uh, <laughs> um, I, I mean, that's kind of a hard question. I feel like I'm taking the necessary steps, you know, to get to that professional level status, I guess. But, I uh, mean, you know, I still have a long, long way to go. I'm very... I'm very hungry to to continue to be great. So I mean, but in the systems I've been in, and you know the the coaching staffs that I've you know had the opportunity to be around, you know, it definitely helped me, you know, to understand like what the next level is starting to look for and how I have to play to to be in that next level. Because you know, at the end of the day. Coach Royal, I mean, yeah, Coach Royal came from Oregon, and he brought that Oregon-style offense. You know, I started learning a whole new system, started learning a, a whole new repertoire of plays and, you know, techniques. And then, you know, I transfer and I go to a system where, you know, I go to a place where, you know, the the level of competition is higher. So I have to, you know, I don't want to say step up, but I have to continue to show that, you know, I can play football and I can play at the highest level. And I'm around a, you know, group of guys and coaches that are trying to, you know, accomplish that same feat. So, you know, we all push each other to, you know, to get there. So I feel like, you know, the system has been a real good, you know, thing that I've been around. And I've been blessed and fortunate to, to continue to build, you know, in between in these systems and going to, you know, higher and higher systems, if that makes sense. It does. It makes a lot of sense. And once again, we appreciate you for taking some time out to talk with us. Everybody, Justice Oluwashun. We appreciate you, J.O. It's all good, man. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, that was Justice Oluwashun, former offensive lineman for UNLV, current offensive lineman for the Miami Hurricanes. Uh I'll be honest with you guys that I made that that phone call and I actually confirmed last night and made sure that it was it was all right to kind of do this on air. And um, I meant what I said, guys. I hadn't talked to him about the Manny Diaz situation. Subsequently, I hadn't talked to him about the COVID situation. That was the first time we had talked since probably middle of this of the season sometime. Um Maybe early in the season. And I don't know, man. If you guys have covered UNLV football and or watched UNLV football, just kind of followed UNLV football, then you would understand the, the amount of heartbreak that this program has gone through recently uh, under a couple of different coaching staffs. And couple of that with, with transferring and, and thinking that the grass is greener on the other side and then – you just so happen to catch them um, just ahead of 
them making some major overhaul changes and then COVID 2.0 happens. And I, it's, it's, you can kind of hear it in his voice and we obviously we appreciate him for, for talking with us and giving us the time. And as I said before that, that was, did he feel like he was already a pro question just came from three seasons and three different programs in, in terms of what he's, been around the changes that he's seen and obviously now in Miami the the level of competition that he's playing with and playing against I think it was a uh, interesting to hear his response and one thing I've learned from Justice is um that's him that that's not that's not a, a, a an act that's not a persona it's not a character it's not a gimmick uh that's him and that answer seemed like it was well scripted because that's who Justice is Justice is somebody who is going to keep his head down, is going to keep working, and is going to uh, keep charging toward that goal that he has for himself. So uh, I didn't, I didn't, I don't know about you guys. I don't want to stir up anything, but I didn't sense any uh, urge to to enter the portal again and leave Miami. So uh, I believe that uh, some ACC. Uh, more ACC games are on the horizon for Justice Olawashun. Again, we appreciate him for chiming in with this. As I said before, guys, the 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 solo dolo episodes are always a little shorter, and this one is going to be no different. I just want to talk about a couple games, and when I talk about a couple of games, I mainly mean some Christmas Day games. So I actually, let's see, that's what I want to do. I think I want to go to my ass tip in first. Then we'll talk about some basketball games. We won't. We'll keep it kind of lighthearted toward the end. Uh, talk about maybe. Man, we'll try to we'll try to touch on all of these Christmas Day games. Maybe see what we can do. Uh, my dad's tipping is. This is when the NFL gets exciting, with this new seventeen week schedule. Well, eighteen week now, eighteen week schedule, and only the top seed of every conference getting the bye. Let's get it on. Right now, with two weeks left to go in the regular season, both number one spots are up for grabs. It's no secrets that me and my dad are eyeing the, well, he said himself and myself, uh, we're eyeing the top of the NFC. Um, yeah, and just like I said in, in our talk last night, one of us needs to take care of Brady. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm hesitating there because I did call my dad last night and I did say just that. If one of us, in terms of our teams, if the Green Bay Packers or the Dallas Cowboys takes care of Tom Brady, I think we see a Dallas-Green Bay NFC championship. So my dad said, even though it's no secret I hate playing that man named Aaron Rodgers worse than any other quarterback, nonetheless, this is the time of the season that you want your squad hot. And as a Cowboy fan, it's looking pretty good right now, but it's still a long way to go. Uh, let's talk about that real quick. The Cowboys, I, I, I watched the game, and 28 points in the first 29, 24 minutes, excuse me, I wanted to call my dad then, and I didn't do it, and I gave it a little time, and I think I did it early in the fourth quarter, and I called my dad and said, hey, before I cut this game off, I just wanted to let you know, as a Cowboy fan, this is why people say what they say about Cowboy fans. I have had my dad since I was a kid tell me the Cowboys are winning it all, the Cowboys are winning it all. What I always find interesting is the year that Des Bryant had the catch, no catch, the, we, we know about that. And this year, 
I can think of maybe one other year with Romo. I called my dad and I told him, do you realize that you haven't called me about the Cowboys since like week six? And he said, what you mean? And I told him, excuse me, this is why people hate a lot of Cowboy fans because you guys beat us down with it's our year, it's our year, it's our year. And it's it all the times that we've argued, it's Cowboy fans trying to make themselves believe it. It's seasons like this that prove it to be true. Because with the Cowboys' best chance to win a Super Bowl in quite some time, you haven't talked about it. And in my opinion, you haven't talked about it because you actually feel like it's real. And you feel like the Cowboys could do it. <clears throat> Which is why I gave you that call last night and I told you if one of us takes care of Brady, I think we get what we want. The Dallas Cowboys last night put up 56 points. You could argue all day long, oh, it's the Washington football team. No, 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 no. That's the Washington football team that just beat the Las Vegas Raiders. That's the Washington football team that beat Seattle on a Monday night when I don't know about everybody else, but even with Russell Wilson dealing with the bum finger, I didn't think they were going to do it. So, to what we said last night, Dad, <coughs> excuse me, one of us very well could be headed to the Super Bowl. Let's both go to the NFC Championship and secure that. Another thing that my dad always does, and I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, and if you guys know anybody else in your family that, that's like this, but my dad doesn't pay attention to the NBA until Christmas Day. Kind of the all-star break, depending on what he's going through. But Christmas Day, typically. They don't chime in Christmas Day. I know we haven't had, and this is typically what happens when, when we run our show, uh, we don't get too much basketball talk when it's early football season talk. Well, regular season talk, I should say. That's going to change today. I didn't want to do this alone, but I'll try to tackle as much as I can in the, in the most concise way I can. <laughs> Excuse me. Let's just call it what it is. Nobody cares about the nine o'clock game on Christmas morning. I don't think a lot of people watch it. I think a lot of people are getting stuff together. At that time, whether it's presents, whether it's just inviting people over, whether it's waking up, getting everybody, getting their showers in, getting their breakfast in, whatever the case may be. I don't think a lot of people watch that game. I'm here to let you guys know that is my favorite feel-good story from Christmas Day. I know. 
in a game that was supposed to highlight Trey Young's return to Madison Square Garden, who or which rather didn't even happen because Trey Young wasn't even in the building. It became a feel-good story for somebody else, and I did this NBA uh, weekly rap um, before, and I talked about Kimba's revenge game. game, Kimba had been removed from the rotation for three weeks. (laughs) Excuse me. And upon being removed from the rotation, New York Knicks, New York Knicks started dropping like flies. Whether it was injuries, whether it was the health and, and safety COVID protocol, so Kimba had to return to the starting lineup. And like I said in the in the the weekly wrap, as the basketball guys would have it, his return game would also be an opportunity for a revenge game, because his first game back in the rotation was a road trip to Boston. Kimba balled out, but let's fast forward to Christmas Day. Kimba didn't shoot well. I believe three of eleven. I'm doing this from the cuff, guy, off the cuff, guy. Sorry, I'm not, I'm not looking at any notes right now. Kimba Walker didn't shoot well, and still posted the tenth triple double in NBA Christmas Day history. Only been 10. And I've told you guys this before. We try our best to not root for people, right? That's what they tell you here in this profession. I hope everybody knows that that's a lie. There are people who deal with people who begin to like people and begin to root for people. It's not going to mean that your analysis is going to be any different. Your judgment is going to be any different. But let's cut the BS. We have favorites. Better than that, the league has favorites in terms of the players. There were nothing but positive words that went to to Kimba Walker when he was removed from the rotation. And then on Christmas Day, when he posted the 10th NBA Christmas Day triple-double ever, it's almost unanimous love from the league. Keep in mind... Kimba Walker became the first New York Nick to record a triple-double on Christmas Day. Me and my dad, we were talking last night, and we talked about that. My dad mentioned, when I said that, he said, wow. He said, Ewing, Spreewell. I said, Dad, you got Jason Kidd? Mellow. Let's run through them. Kimba Walker is the first one. I apologize if I'm wrong, but I believe it was Cassidy Hubbard who asked him after the game. First of all, let him know that that was his first triple-double since 2014, April of 2014, I believe. She asked what it meant to do it in, in, in Madison Square Garden, do it for the Knicks, do it on Christmas Day, something along the, along the lines of that. Kimba's reaction to look around the garden, smile and say, I'm home. This is home. He's a New York native. This is what he wanted. 
And this is the part that bothers me. And Tom Thibodeau, you obviously are are good at what you do in terms of coaching basketball. However, I do find it interesting that the New York Knicks, just the way that the New York Knicks are, have always said that they have hard times bringing people in and they have hard times getting people to, to commit and, and wanting to be Knicks. And then you get a native who wants to be a New York Knick. And he ends up being removed from the rotation for three weeks. Upon returning to the rotation, he continues to ball. Maybe that was a wake-up that he needed. Who knows? Tom Thibodeau, like I said before. Maybe you were the one that would know that. However, let's go back to the last group of people that said they wanted to be Knicks. Let's just name two. We're doing one right now. And Kimball Walker. How did the Knicks treat Melo when he said he wanted to be a Nick? This is why nobody wants to be a Nick. The entire league is rooting for Kimball Walker. And as I said before, I'm not going to sit here and say that Tibbs did the wrong thing. Just find it interesting that it keeps happening to the New York Knickerbockers. Kimball's triple-double came in a win, obviously. Only so much to say since Trey Young was not in the building for the Atlanta Hawks. The Bucks come back against Boston. Um, I, I think we've said it for quite some time. The, the Boston Celtics in general, they're at a state where I think they're they're going to be one of the middle teams in the Eastern Conference playoffs. I don't know how far they go, and I think that's probably how far this conversation is going to go because we're unsure about what this team is going to look like later on down the line. I don't know if they're going to trade any any valuable pieces. Um, I'm not sure what you would get back from Marcus Smart. Uh, I know that he – at least I, really, I believe he just recently signed a deal not too long ago. So not sure what teams are willing to, to, to want to take that contract on considering – uh, what they'd have to give up for it. So uh, we'll, we'll we'll hold out judgment on that. But let's talk a little bit about the Bucks and Giannis Antetokounmpo, mainly because the Bucks are right back where they were last season. I'll be honest. I didn't think the Bucks were going to win it all last season. Uh, I didn't think they were actually going to make it to the finals last season. I thought that was two years ago maybe. Um, and, hey, you get what you get. You get what you get. And they're doing it again. And I don't know how many other ways to tell people that. Aside from they're doing it again. Brooke Lopez hasn't played since the first game, I believe. Had back surgery. Big part of what that team does on both ends. I'm going to let you guys know right now, this week's this week's NBA Weekly Rap, rather, has a subhead in there that I've been excited to do for, for a little bit. And we talk about favorites. Boogie is back. And Boogie is looking like Boogie. And what I've told people before, too, and I don't understand why people look at me like I'm nuts. When last seen healthy, and I know it's been a couple of years now, 
When last seen healthy, Boogie was the best big man in the league. When last seen healthy, DeMarcus Cousins was the best big man in the league. In addition to that, he just played valuable playoff minutes for the Clippers last season. Earlier this year. He just played valuable minutes for a playoff team. In the spot where they needed it most. Not to mention Drew Holiday, the ultimate professional. Not to mention Chris Middleton, professional scorer. Not to mention Bobby Portis. The city of Milwaukee is behind him. They got back Dante DiVincenzo as well. Something to keep an eye on. Three other Christmas Day games, and I swear we're going to get out of here. The Golden State Warriors and the Phoenix Suns. The Dubs ended up outlasting them, winning by nine, I believe, 116 and 107. Again, I'm shooting from the hip. <clears throat> I don't know what you guys want me to say. Stephen A. Smith said something that was really interesting. He said, while the while the the Phoenix Suns are the Phoenix Suns, he said that he respects them for what they did last year. He just felt like Golden State was so much a step ahead of them. And maybe Stephen A. feels that way because if they were to meet in the postseason, maybe he feels like no matter how long it goes, Golden State is going to win. I will not sit here and say that I disagree with him. I will sit here and ask if he thinks that it won't go six or seven games. Because I'm not sure. I'm not sure of that. I'm just not. I'm just not. Keep in mind, when the Phoenix Suns were streaking earlier this year, they beat Golden State. Golden State also beat them to end the streak, but they played without Devin Booker. I know that we've said a lot about the Lakers this season, and we're about to get into them right now. I really hope we get a Phoenix-Golden State playoff series this year. I really do. I don't care where it happens. I really don't care. On my notes, I have the Nets invade Crypto.com Arena because it was the first official game for the Crypto.com Arena on Christmas Day. The Brooklyn Nets against the Los Angeles Lakers. This game, while it's basketball and it's it's high it's highly competitive, regardless, I do think that this game probably had sixty percent of its luster taken away. I say that because the matchup of Kevin Durant versus LeBron James would have been the one to watch. I will say that even with KDN protocol and health and safety protocol, I figured, well, perhaps the better storyline is Kyrie versus LeBron. 
and no disrespect to James Harden, but that didn't happen either. So it became James Harden and the Nets against Russ, Braun, and the Lakers. And this is where I think Laker fans all season long have been voicing their frustrations. When I present the game like that, there's no way that the Brooklyn Nets should win, right? And that's exactly what happened when you have Petty Mills explode for, what was it, I think 34 points? I don't know, man. I won't I won't go too deep into it, but this Laker team may be in trouble. And I know we sit, we've I've had people ask over the last couple of weeks what I felt was wrong with the Lakers and what would I do to change the Lakers. And as I said before, the Lakers need perimeter defense. The Lakers need people that are going to stay in front of defenders or in front of uh, ball handlers. And the Lakers don't have that. When does it change? I don't know. How does it change? I don't know. Will it change? I'll be honest, man. I trust Brian. I do. I do think teams are actually getting to the point to where anytime a LeBron James-led team calls for a player, you, you, I think they're kind of starting to get the the Bill Belichick effect. What, what does he know? What does he see that I don't? So I'm not sure how many people want to actually help LeBron and the Lakers out right now. Rob Palenka, Rich Paul. But nevertheless, I do anticipate some changes coming for the Lakers. Can't determine right now whether it be big or small. Last one that I actually want to go to, I I talked about him a a little bit, and I don't think enough has been said about Donovan Mitchell and his ability to lead a team. Donovan Mitchell with his bad back. I have right here, Donovan shoulders the low with a bad back. Donovan Mitchell, to go out and score 33 points with a bad back from the start of the game, looked a little stiff. Uh, I forgot who said it on the the, uh, telecast, but short on a lot of his threes, short on a lot of his jump shots, just short which indicates either the legs are gone or the back is gone. And nine times out of ten, if your back goes, your legs may not be too far behind it. Donovan Mitchell led the Utah Jazz to a much-needed win over the uh, over the Dallas Mavericks. Keep in mind the Dallas Mavericks were playing without Luka Doncic again. Uh-oh. They were playing without Luka Doncic. Chris Stapps was there. I will say, though, as I get into this, I guess it might be a good time to end it with this. Carl Anthony Towns has been in the news a lot recently. Uh, kind of all season long for multiple reasons. But this season specifically, or this uh, week specifically, because he said that he was the best. It might have been last week. He said that he was the best shooting big man in NBA history. I like the confidence. I've said it multiple times. I like the confidence. Cat. 
can play. Cat can shoot. Cat can do his thing. Cat does his thing. Everybody knows it is Dirk Nowitzki. I think even when he said it, he may have been like, uh, I forgot about Dirk. However, this is where my hot take begins. <laughs> and coming off of this game is going to sound nuts, but I'm going to stand by it. Kristaps Porzingis? When healthy? I'm not sure that he's a better big... I'm not sure that he's not the best shooting big man in the league. When healthy. I said it's interesting coming after this game because he did go 8 of 18, 0 for 5 from 3, I believe. Even if he didn't go 0 for 5, I know he didn't make it 3. So... That was my quote-unquote hot take. I'm not sure that he's the, the best shooting big man right now. Joel Embiid doesn't shoot enough, right? Not anymore? Probably not. Brooke Lopez literally is only a three-point shooter, so... But that's just if I wanted to nitpick. But as I get out of here, I did see some news break about Carl Anthony Towns speaking on Russell Westbrook, quote-unquote, chasing stats. Um, matter of fact, I encourage all of you guys to actually go and listen to the clip because Draymond Green has already responded. Won't say whether his, his response was valid or not. <laughs> Knowing Draymond Green, Draymond Green probably doesn't care whether I think his response was valid or not, which, which I love. However, I need a lot of people to go back and listen to what Carl Anthony Towns said. Listen to the tonality in which he said it. Listen to the question he was asked. And listen the entire way through it. <laughs> I know what day and age we're in, and I'm not sure how many people are actually going to do what I just said. So we're just going to do this. Until next time, guys. Keep on talking.